listening to an audio sermon from Hope Bible Church Kelowna. For more information about our church, please visit hopekelowna.ca. You can take your Bibles, and for the very last time, <laughs> well, we, I'm sure we'll preach from 1 Peter again, but in this series, 1 Peter chapter 5, as we bring this sermon series to a close here on our living hope and what a time it has been, a rich time in the Word of God together as a church. Uh, what is it now? 30 messages over the last 10 months and we have been working our way verse by verse, chapter by chapter through this amazing letter that Peter wrote and I believe this has been such a timely book for our church as we have walked through just a very chaotic and crazy year with COVID-19 and with everything else that has happened in this past year. Now, now this week I saw this and I just thought, man, I just have to laugh at this because it's actually quite enjoyable and uh, maybe you can relate to this. Uh, take a look at this. Sometimes wonder if all this has happened because I didn't forward that email to 10 people. <laughs> and, and, and I can't help but, you know, just maybe that thought has crossed your mind. If only I would have sent that email to 10 of my friends, none of this would happen. Of course, we don't live like that. And obviously, we re reject any of that kind of thinking. And, and because we know that, that despite everything going on in our world, the things that are going on in our lives, a sovereign God is allowing this. He's allowing this in our lives. He's allowing this in our nation. He's allowing this around the world. He's allowing whatever it is that has been happening in, in your circle, in your life. He's allowing these things to take place. And in the midst of it, not once we get out of it, in the midst of us, he desires for us to experience his living hope. The living hope that is available through Jesus Christ. In the midst of whatever it is, no matter the circumstance, no matter the trial. We have a living hope. And 1 Peter is a book that God's people have been turning to for centuries. Second, probably only to the Psalms when facing trials and difficulties and persecution. 1 Peter is a book filled with hope because, because this is a book that exalts our living hope, who we have just been singing about and worshiping to, of course, Jesus. But under the direction of the Holy Spirit, Peter doesn't sugarcoat the, the, the words here. He doesn't sugarcoat the life of a Christ follower and make it sound like it's going to be all bliss and happy. He's very upfront, telling us there will be struggles. There will be at times where it will seem like we're just on the ropes and we're getting pounded. There will be temptation, temptation to compromise, temptation to run, temptation to hide, temptation just to give up. But we also have been given in this letter, but also in the entire word of God, we have promises that as we press on, as we hold on, as we continue to keep living our lives in the power of the Holy Spirit, through the word of God, through the encouragement that comes through the body of Christ, proclaiming Christ in and through it all, it will be worth it. It will be worth it. Now when it comes to books that 
we read, most books anyways, we probably do this sort of thing. Oftentimes, the last chapter or the last paragraph there is oftentimes kind of a summary to it or kind of, you know, the, where we see the main point or the main thrust and, and, and maybe that's in the last chapter or the last few paragraphs and, and the author desires to pull everything together so that you can be kind of assured and just understand again, this is what the author is wanting to get across and doesn't want you to miss it. Well, Peter does the same thing in the last few verses of this letter. And yet oftentimes when it comes to reading the Bible, when it comes to reading the Word of God, we can sometimes skim and skip over these verses and, because we're, we're in there for the good stuff, for the meat. You know, we, we want you know, some of those rich, powerful verses that we underline and we circle and we perhaps memorize and we cling to and hold on to and we just kind of skim over these last little bit. But we can't do that. We can't do that. We just can't afford to do that because of what God's word is and, 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 and its importance and its power. And, and in 2 Peter chapter 1.21, it says this, For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit empowered Men to take and to write the very words that God desired to have them write for you and for me. And then 2 Timothy 3.16 and 17. And I trust that if you were to flip there quickly, that you would have something underlined. There's one word. We always turn to this on a regular basis. And there's one word in there in particular that we need to underline. It is the first word in verse 16 where it says, All. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Every word, every sentence, every paragraph, everything has a purpose and a meaning, and it is profitable, and it is useful to inform, equip, equip and to complete us as God's children. And these last three verses, they're gold. They're pure gold. And yet oftentimes we just kind of skip through them. They're, they're powerful verses for you, for me, for the church of Jesus Christ. And just as the apostle Peter, his life could be summarized as a life that has been guarded and guided by God into never-ending faithfulness. He kind of got a rough start, didn't he? He had a rough start early on in his life, in, in his ministry, after Jesus had called him. But we see how he continues in faithfulness, a life of never-ending faithfulness. And Peter's story, his testimony, and what he calls his readers to do and to follow and to believe can also be our story, that you and I, no matter what, we can have a story of God's never-ending faithfulness in our lives. And I trust and I hope that wherever you're at today, you would take that, you would take it to the bank, and you would know that it is true. But a story of faithfulness, of God's faithfulness, just won't happen automatically. It just won't happen because you've had maybe one or two spiritual, emotional experiences or because you prayed a prayer and was baptized and now all of a sudden you're just kind of, you know, just going to walk into this life automatically of, of never-ending faithfulness. No, a story of God's never-ending faithfulness comes through battles, through struggles, through trials, through temptations, through joys and victories. And it comes to us from the truth, from the truth of God's word. God's truth being poured into our lives from the word of God. Truth poured into our lives on Sundays, 
As we take and as we feast on the word of God, as God's word is proclaimed even through a camera and on your computers, on your tablets, on your phones, or on your television sets, wherever that you are watching or whether you are listening to it on, on, on podcasts or whatever it might be, we need the truth of God's, God's word proclaimed to us, but we also need the truth of God's word daily pouring into our lives, reading it, meditating on it, studying it, obeying it, and listening living it, standing firm in the truth of God's word, in his promises, day in and day out, and living this all out in the power of the Holy Spirit. We can't just do it through discipline. We need the power of the Holy Spirit. We need the word of God in our lives. And so let's read these last three verses of this amazing book. Verse 12, 1 Peter 5, by Silvanus, a faithful brother, as I regard him, I have written briefly to you, exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. She who is in Babylon, who is likewise chosen, sends you greetings. And so does Mark, my son. Greet one another with a kiss of love. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. From this passage, we see a story a life of God's never-ending faithfulness that can be ours, but it requires us that we stand firm. It's going to require we stand firm, and we can see in this passage at least four ways that we are to stand firm to experience a life of God's never-ending faithfulness. And the first one is that we stand firm with grateful appreciation for faithful servants. I encourage you to write that down. Grateful appreciation for faithful servants. Look in verse 12. It says, By Silvanus, a faithful brother as I regard him, I have written briefly to you. Quite possibly, it's at this very point, Peter actually, for the first time, picks up a pen and he writes these last few verses. And he writes these verses to the churches in Asia Minor. He writes these verses personally to you and to me. You see, prior to this, Peter would have been dictating the words for Sylvanus to write down. Sylvanus was his secretary. He was his scribe, if you want to call it. You see, Peter was a fisherman by trade. Penmanship was probably not his greatest strength. And, and, and perhaps if you're like me, I can write things out, and people cannot. I mean, it looks like it's a foreign language at times. Even sometimes I can't even read it after I've written it. That's a true story. Well, maybe Peter was the same. And so Sylvanus... He describes him as a faithful brother who was writing these words for Peter as Peter was carried along by the Holy Spirit. Now, this word Silvanus is actually short for Silas. And so Silvanus being Silas, we see Silas being mentioned throughout the New Testament as a faithful servant. He was mentioned in Acts chapter 15 and Acts 16 and Acts 17. And there's some other passages that he is mentioned as well. It was this Silas who accompanied Paul, the Apostle Paul on some of his missionary journeys. It was this Silas who was beaten and imprisoned and yet was rejoicing together with the Apostle Paul for the sake of the gospel. It was this Silas who helped Paul write First and Second Thessalonians. It was this Silas who was also mentioned as a preacher in the early church and yet we have no recorded sermon that he ever preached. He was faithful, oftentimes working behind the scenes. He was that kind of a guy. 
And he was involved in the ministry of the Apostle Paul as well as here with Peter. And yet we just have a few little mentions of him. We don't know a lot about him. But when Peter picks up the pen and he writes out a few words here, he says so much. Look at what he says. A faithful brother as I regard him. A faithful brother and I respect him is what he's saying. He respects him for this life of faithfulness to God. And you know what? In God's word, it tells us in Proverbs chapter 3, verse 27, it says, give honor where honor is due. And this is what Peter is doing. At the very end, he's giving honor to Silvanus, to, to Silas, this guy who has been so faithful. You see, so much of God's work is accomplished by faithful Silas's. Always has, always will be. Yeah, you have the upfront big mouth guys. But you have so many behind the scenes people. Behind the scenes people who work and pray and sacrifice with sweat and tears, who give of themselves and give of resources and give of their talents. And so oftentimes there is so much work that is unnoticed oftentimes taken for granted. And oftentimes people are just simply unaware. Not a lot of thanks, but they're not doing it for human praise or thanks. And here at Hope, we have so many faithful Silas's. Throughout the week, I'm just amazed, even here at our office, the coming and going of people, as well as the activities that are taking place in small groups and in other aspects of our church life, of all the behind-the-work Silas kind of activities and, and, and duties that takes place. So much of it is things that, that, that you are unaware of, things that at times I'm unaware of, of how this happens or how it gets done. And today I want to focus for a few minutes on the faithful Silas's who serve oftentimes behind the scenes for our Sunday services. Some other time we'd love to focus on some of our other ministry uh, servants and Silas's in different ways. But today I want to take some time just to focus on those who faithfully have been serving in this area. Who are off camera, oftentimes off stage, faithful brothers and sisters. And here's a little bit of what happens in the life of the faithful Silas is to bring you a Sunday morning service. First of all, a worship leader picks songs early in the week. Sometimes even weeks in advance, they're working ahead on this, working on arrangements. They take and they load the lyrics into the computer uh, so, so that it, you can have the lyrics on the screen. On, on Friday nights, they inform the, the team about the songs that are going to be sung. And they start working together with Brett, with myself, on the order of service. Band members, usually, hopefully, I think they do, start practicing oftentimes at home in preparation for the weekend. And, and security cameras at our church office at times get triggered at some crazy hours because of the servants who come and, and get things ready or do some preparation. Sometimes, and there's, there's one guy who comes at sometimes 5, 6 a.m. in the morning to play the drums and to practice uh, on the drums at that time. 
Then on Thursday at 5 p.m., the sermon notes are sent out and slides are being made. And this past week, Chris was doing them so that you have slides at the bottom and, and sometimes fill up the whole screen to go along with the, the message. And so those get done on Thursday night and uploaded in, for the computer into Friday. Thursday night, the band meets as well as the tech team, and they meet Thursday night to practice and spend oftentimes a couple of hours working on things and just getting things right, whether it's here or it's in the other room, in the recording room, as you see there. And then Friday during the day, the announcements get recorded, oftentimes here at the church office, Josh doing them this past week. And then Friday, usually around 5 or 5.30 p.m., the team gathers... They usually eat some cheap pizza, uh, and, and, or else this week we actually got treated uh, by a nice warm meal that was brought to, uh, to the team here by the Therians, just some, some wonderful warm uh, food. Uh, and, and so then the band gets up and they rehearse, they work through the transitions and different aspects of the service, they get it all kind of working together. And then after that re final rehearsal, we sit down together and there's a walkthrough. Uh, as you see here, a walk through the service, making sure everyone knows their parts and, and different things and the technical aspects of it. And then there's a time spent in prayer as we pray and we ask God to work. And then the recording starts and we desire to do it just as we do a Sunday morning service, all together in one shot. So it resembles a service for the team and, and for you as well, knowing that it's not being all edited and stuff like that. And, um, and even right now, as I'm preaching, there are things happening. And uh, people just aren't sitting still around here. There, there are some things that are taking place. And, and, and so I'm going to, I'm actually, I'm, I'm going to get this uh, figured out here. And we are going to shoot a little video for this. Um, okay, are you guys ready for this? Let's do this. Okay, let's go. So this here is what I get to look at. Yes, this camera. However, we also have a crew of people that are working in here, looking after the picture, the sound, the words that you see at the bottom of the screen, not for the slides. And then, well, I'm preaching. We also have a crew that's down here. The worship band is now able to um, sit in here and watch the service and listen to the sermon while it is going on. And so this is what happens while the service is taking place. Now, you might think that that's everything, but that's not quite done yet. You see, Saturday... The service gets uploaded onto Facebook and YouTube so that it will be all ready to go for Sunday morning. But the work still isn't done. El Whale on Saturdays then takes the service off of, uh, off of the, the cloud and he takes the service and he burns DVDs, as you see here, and then he takes them to people who don't have internet service and, and so that they can watch the service together with us on Sunday morning through, DVD, through their DVD players. And if you're interested in a DVD, just let us know, and we would love to accommodate you in that. And this is all being done under the watchful care of Brett week in and week out. And it all gets repeated. Everything I described to you, it all gets repeated again for next weekend. And so I have a big thank you for all the faithful Silas's, and I'm sure all of you are as well. Thank you 
faithful Silas's who serve in this way. Brett and Haley and Tim Cook and Andrew and, and Dan and Rich and Darren and Carl and Melissa and Leah and Vanessa and Matthew and Shara and Ian and Seamus and Curtis and Josh and Aaron and Andrea and Xavier um, plus the team of people who faithfully pray for me specifically on Friday nights as God's word is being proclaimed. I think I also left out Nina Westner, who is also part of, of building the slides. And, and, and just again, just so thankful for this work. Chris mentioned him earlier. And I hope I haven't forgotten. These are some of the people in the last month or so who have been serving faithfully in this area. And we are so grateful for your work and your commitment. Thank you, faithful Silas's. And again, these are just for the, our weekend services. There are so many others throughout the course of the week that we're thankful for. And this week, I encourage you to recognize and give thanks first to God and then to the, some actual faithful Silas's in your life. Maybe you'll go back a number of years or maybe a few months or just even recently to a small group leader or to someone in your life who has just been so faithful and, and people whose lives and their ministries, their love and their care have ministered to you and you've appreciated Send them a text message, an email, or a Facebook message, or whatever it might be. And maybe it's just short and sweet and says, hey, thanks for being a faithful Silas in my life. And just give that word of appreciation. It's vital. It's vital that in the midst of hard and difficult times where so much discouragement can easily set in, especially with, to the servants of God, because there's also a spiritual battle just trying to knock down those who serve faithfully in, in, in even a special way. Because the enemy knows if he can get in there, he can really make a mess of things. And, and so in the midst of hard times and difficulty, it's even more important that we recognize and we give thanks and give honor to those who serve the Lord faithfully. Give honor to where honor is due. And so it's a grateful, thankful heart looking and giving thanks God, thanksgiving to God for those faithful servants in our lives. And then secondly, the second way that our lives can be a story of God's never-ending faithfulness is by believing and proclaiming the trustworthy message. We must believe and proclaim the trustworthy message. Look at what says the last part of verse 12. I have written briefly to you, exhorting and declaring that this is the true Grace of God, stand firm in it. Oh, I, 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 he was probably writing this in, in, you know, probably uppercase if there was such a thing in Greek in that way. And Peter is saying, this brief letter, believe you, I could have written a lot more. He's saying, this brief letter, it's the real deal. It's the whole bale of hay here that is so important and so necessary. And no matter, he's saying, no matter what you experience, the suffering, the temptation, the temptation to quit or to compromise, to give up, he's saying, don't, because the gospel is the real deal. Stand firm in it. Believe in it. Live it. Proclaim it. With your lives and with your lips, make much of it. You see, this letter is all what it, what it means, what it is about to be a Christian in a broken, messed up world where there's suffering and difficulty for the follower of Christ. And this is a letter that reminds us that we will face rejection and suffering and we'll be ridiculed at times. 
You may get a lower mark in a class or passed over for advancements or for areas in your career. Perhaps one day you may lose a job or even be imprisoned because of the stand that you take for Jesus Christ. But Peter is saying Christ is worth it. This is the real deal. Stand firm in it no matter what happens. And Peter himself, a few years later after writing this, would be martyred. And yet he's calling Christians then unapologetically, then and all throughout history, including today, no matter what, remain faithful because this is the real deal. Peter says this is the true grace of God. And so when he's saying that, he's also implying that there also can be the false grace of God that gets promoted. And Jude 24 tells us and warns us of false teachers who will pervert the grace of God. And that kind of perversion is still going on today. Sin, do whatever you want. You don't really have to adhere to the word of God. You're going to get forgiven. That's a greasy grace. That is a hyper grace kind of thinking. And, 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 and so Peter's warning. No, what I'm writing about, about trials and difficulties and yet remaining faithful and obedient to the word of God. This is the true grace of God. Because following the false gospel, following the false teacher, will shipwreck the souls of people for eternity. And so Peter is saying, take this letter, know it, own it, practice it, live it in your lives. Because in this letter that I've written, in these five chapters, it, 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 it talks about a saving grace, a sanctifying grace, a grace that will see you through trials, a grace that will see you through suffering, a grace that anticipates the one-day return of Jesus Christ, a grace that gives us strength to face ridicule and slander and persecution, evil attacks, even from the devil. There's a grace to be able to withstand that, a grace that, that we can cast all of our cares Every worry, every anxiety, there's a grace for that as we cast it on our God. There is a grace, this word, this letter talks about that affects and alters our attitudes and our relationships. When we take and live it, it will affect our attitudes and our relationships and our marriages towards our bosses, towards government, towards one another, towards the church. This grace is all made available because of Jesus Christ. The Son of God who came to this world, who lived a perfect life, died a substitutionary death on the cross, taking upon himself the sins of the world. He took your sin, he took my sin, he took Peter's sin, he took Silas's sin. And there on the cross, he paid the penalty that we so deserved. But he suffered, he died on that cross, and then he was buried, but on Easter Sunday, he rose defeating sin and death once for all, and for all who put their faith and their trust and their hope fully on Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, turning from their agenda, turning from their own program, turning from a life of sin, and saying, Jesus, I desire to follow you, and I surrender my life to you, Jesus, as my Lord, as my Christ, as my Savior, will receive this living hope, have the seal of the Holy Spirit come into 
their life and empowers the child of God. You and I are empowered, not on our own strength, not our own, own energy, not in what we ate for breakfast, not in the, the vegetables or the healthy eating or the coffee or the, uh, the, the booster juice you might have or, or, or whatever it might, might be or Red Bull. That, that, that's not where you get your true strength. That's not where you get your true power from. It comes from the living Christ who lives and dwells in his children. A living hope that we have that no matter what happens here on this earth, we will be kept by Christ for Christ. We will have an inheritance, a future kept in heaven for us that will not rot, that will not fade, that will not be defiled, that will not be destroyed, that will not be taken from us. This, Peter is saying, is the true grace of God. Now stand in it. Stand firm in this. Don't let anyone or anything cause you to stray or become distracted or become disillusioned because at times it's going to happen. At times you're going to want to give up. You know, over the years growing up in the church, thankful for my heritage and for many years also of being a pastor, I've seen many people walk with the Lord faithfully through the decades and their walk, and their love, and, and the beauty of Christ just continues to be deepened, and their faith remains firm. And they are such an encouragement. They have been an encouragement to me from when I was just a little guy in Sunday school, then in youth group, and through the years, and still continue to be. And there's these faithful examples and what an encouragement they are of, of, of living for Christ, firm in their faith for the long haul. And I'm thankful for those faithful examples that we have in our own church. And yet, sadly, over the years, I've witnessed many, too many to want to count, too many that can become actually discouraging, who have walked away from the Lord, who have not continued. And you know how it starts? Oftentimes in a little area of compromise, just a little area, a little area of sin, a little area that, you know, a little white lie or a little thing that we don't think is that big of a deal. It's hidden and, you know, no one really knows about it, but it starts taking a toll. And sadly, I've seen many people abandon their faith when it starts to cost, when it may cost a relationship when it may cost being obedient to God's word because they want to get pulled in a certain direction, whether that's a party lifestyle or a certain relationship, or because it starts to cost financially, or there's a promotion at stake or an advancement, and there's compromise that starts to take place, and there's a slow fade or a slow drift. Or perhaps it's because of suffering of some sort, and there's a hurt and there's issues that they have with God or with others who have hurt them. And that trial, to, trial that, that God or that others have uh, received at times the blame uh, for in our lives ends up becoming a bitter root rather than seeing it as something that can grow us and perfect us and to strengthen us and to cause us to, be, to rely on and become more like Christ becomes a bitter root. And sadly, there are those who have also walked with God for many years, but no longer have much joy, have very little passion or enthusiasm for the Lord, for his bride, little passion for worship, 
little passion for the body of Christ, just kind of going through the motions, just kind of living it out till heaven. I wonder today, how is your passion? How is your love for Christ? How is your love for his word? How is your time for personal worship and prayer with the Lord, that intimacy? Is there a lukewarmness? Is there a distraction? Is there sin that needs to be repented of? Is there sin that needs to be run away from? How important it is that we stand firm in the true grace of God and live passionately for him. And thirdly, our lives can be a never-ending story of God's faithfulness when we stand firm by extending grace in the midst of failure. By extending, and I'd even throw in the word restorative grace in the midst of failure. Look at in verse 13. It says, she who is, a, is at Babylon, who is likewise chosen, sends you greetings, and so does Mark, my son. Now, this she who is in Babylon, that's kind of an interesting statement. This is a reference to the church. Probably not, most scholars think it's probably not the church in Babylon, but probably a code word for an underground church in Rome, where it is believed that this is where Peter is writing from, that he's writing from Rome. But you see, the persecution against Christians is intensifying, and this letter could possibly at some point fall into the hands of the wrong people, or the wrong people may hear it being read, and it could, oh, this is from the church in Rome. There's a church going on in Rome. We could make Christians in the church even a greater target for further persecution. And so it is believed that Babylon is a code name for Rome, for the church there. So he's saying, hey, the church in Rome, who's likewise chosen, just like you're chosen, they're chosen, sends you greetings. And so does my son Mark. Now, it is believed that this isn't his biological son, but his spiritual son in Christ. And this is the John Mark that was, has been mentioned in the New Testament. In fact, this is the John Mark that wrote the Gospel of Mark. But this is also the, the Mark, or the John Mark, as he's at times referred to, who in his younger days, when the going got tough, he got going. And he took off. And he deserted Paul. You see, when Mark was with Paul on his first missionary journey, but when things kind of, some difficulties came and the trials and the persecution and, and, and some of the struggles were coming, the spiritual opposition, which is sure to come, Mark left. He deserted them. He left them high and dry. He went home. And so then in Acts 15, as Paul was getting ready to leave on his second missionary journey, Barnabas said, hey, bring Mark along with us. And Paul said, no way, he's not coming. And there was this sharp disagreement between Paul and Barnabas. It was so sharp that these good friends actually split up. And so Paul took Silas with him. Barnabas took Mark with him. And both groups set out to do ministry. And you know what? At times in the life of the church with the family of God, things can get messy. There's going to be disagreements. There's going to be dust-ups. And you know what? Satan just loves this sort of thing. Look at this quote from Spurgeon. Satan delights in anything that divides saints from one another. And how important it is that we strive. Always strive and make a way for restorative grace 
in the midst of failure, in the midst of disagreement, and even when we have been sinned against, when we have been wronged. We must make room for that restorative grace in our lives. And you see, beautifully later, towards the end of Paul's life, the one who said, don't have him come with me, I want nothing to do with that guy in 2 Timothy chapter 4, Paul says, hey, get that John Mark over here. He could be useful to me. He could be useful in the ministry. Just love that. How beautiful. And you see, Peter didn't put John on the shelf. Peter didn't hold a past failure against him. No, Peter saw him as a dear son, a dear son in the Lord whom he loved dearly. And you know what? It was probably also because Peter knew exactly what it was like to have failed, to have fled, to have deserted. Peter knew full well what it was like to desert Jesus, even deny him. But for Peter, it came down to then eventually that talk on the beach in John chapter 21 where Peter was restored by Jesus and then commissioned for the work. A restoration leads to commission. It leads to ministry. And oh, how important it is in my hope and my prayers that our lives, for our church, for all the relationships that we have within the church, outside the church, that there would always be restorative grace that we would extend to one another. That we wouldn't just put people on the shelf because they messed up, because they said things, they did things, but there would be this restorative grace. And sadly, it's so unfortunate and makes me so sad at times that we as the ones who have been forgiven so much from God can oftentimes be the ones that can hold on to bitterness and unforgiveness resulting in gossip and slander towards other believers in Christ over some pretty petty things. God gets no glory in this. And COVID is one of those. It has been deadly, perhaps even more deadly than the virus on relationships in the division it has caused. And I believe that we all need to humbly examine our lives before God in the conversations that we've had with people where we are thinking we are so right and others are so wrong in the things that we maybe post, in the things that we say to, to others um, in various forms, whether that be in person or through our phones, and how we can so easily sin and cause hurt to others. And we need to be asking ourselves, if I cause hurt to another brother or sister in Christ, even to those who aren't in Christ, but especially to those who are in Christ. And maybe it's not even COVID-related, but there's a broken relationship that you have with someone. And you're waiting for that other person to get low, to humble themselves. But God's Word says we are to humble ourselves. Humble yourself, and He will exalt you. And if we know what it is, the right thing that we ought to do, but we're just being stubborn, we're being proudful, God's word says when we know the right thing to do and we don't do it, yet we refuse to do it, we sin. And God's power, God's strength is sapped out of us. We're running on empty. We're running our own power and strength. 
And oh, that we would be filled with the fullness of Christ to live the life that he calls us to live. Look at at Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 to 14. It says, put on then as God's chosen one, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, hating each, no, forgiving each other, right? Forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all, above all these things, put on love which binds everything together in perfect harmony. This is about knowing and living in the gospel every day. Knowing the forgiveness and the grace that we have received from God in Christ is an ongoing work that we continue to need and rely on in our lives. And that, oh, that we would take a stand for the grace of God and live in and through his grace and extend that to others as we receive it freely from God would we extend it to others. This restorative grace. And then fourthly, our lives can, never, can be a never-ending story of God's faithfulness when we stand firm pursuing a deep affection for one another. Look at this one, verse 14. Greet one another with the kiss of love. And all the single men said, amen. Yeah. Greet one another with the kiss of love. That's a good way to kind of bring the things to an end here. I kind of like that. Well, just just before you get too excited, uh, first of all, uh, this was a custom then, still is in some countries. And, And this was to greet one another to, to show this kind of love and care through a kiss. Usually on the cheek, some cultures, it's right on the lips. But get this, though, before you get too crazy on this, it was men to men, women to women. So beard on beard, yeah, no. I don't think so. Uh, here, Peter, though, what he is doing in saying, greet one another with the kiss of love. He's telling all the churches to be doing this. What he is doing is in the midst of suffering, persecution, trials, keep on loving one another, church. Don't stop. Don't give up. In every chapter of this book, you can go back and look. In every chapter, Peter exhorts the church. He exhorts God's people to love one another. Love earnestly. Love sincerely. Love with a pure heart. Loving others. He's saying here now with practical ways love them with our hands is what he's saying showing this affection he's not talking about duty he's not talking about a fake affection or well it's the right thing to do or it's the right thing to say there i said it no this is an earnest heartfelt overflowing love that we are to have for one another not just waiting to receive love but getting out there and initiating and giving the love of christ and showing that to others this is all motivated out of christ's love for us who extended his love to us while we were yet sinners. We are to now, as recipients of his love, we are to extend that to others. And I pray a deepening affection for one another. It would be so evident in these days, whether that's in our groups, in our gatherings that we're hoping soon to have, especially at Easter time, in our chats, in our interactions with one another. Would there be affection? Would there be love for one another? And as the fiery trials around us intensify and happen, and it's going to happen whether that's in a grand way or just individually in our own lives when suffering and difficulties come, that is the time when we need to band together and we need one another even more. And God has given us a great work to do. 
And we are to, to, and the starting point of so much of this is he wants us to do it together in unity, to do it in love, to then together, together in unity, together in love, reaching the tens of thousands in this region, reaching the millions in our nation and the billions around this world, the lost, beaten down, discouraged people, reaching them with the true grace of God, Let's stand in this, church. Encourage you to look for ways to show love this week. We all have our part to do in this. And so, church, let's live what we've been learning here today. Because if we don't live what we're learning, we're just wasting our time, and you just wasted 43 minutes. And here's some ways that we could maybe live what we're learning practically. First of all, are there some Silas's that we need to encourage and give words of appreciation to this week? Be sure to do that. Number two, who can you share the true grace of God with this week? Who is God placing in your life that you need to share the gospel? You need to share the true grace of God. You need to follow in areas of obedience in your life. Thirdly, are there areas that you are not standing firm in? Are there areas where you've become calloused with sin, with lukewarmness, backsliding, bitterness? Repent, return back to God. And then fourthly, who is it that you need to show and to share God's restorative grace to this week? And then lastly, who can you share a deepening affection towards this week? Let's practice what we've been learning today. And as we do this, as we then start living and experiencing this never-ending story of God's faithfulness, look how it all ends. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. This is how we will know the peace of God in our lives as we're living this and as we are not doing it perfectly, but we're doing it progressively day by day, being sanctified as we're getting strengthened and living the truth of, of the word of true grace that we've been learning here in 1 Peter, we can experience and expect God's peace over those who are in Christ. And so God, I even pray now that these truths would be settled in our hearts, that this is the true grace of God, and that we would see that you have an incredible life, a never-ending story that you desire to do, to make our lives much of for your glory. God, I pray that even as we have been spending many Sundays in this book filled with incredibly great truths and wonderful promises, would we see that all of your promises are true. They are yes in Jesus Christ. And so even now, would we sing with declaration that we want to follow you, we want to live for you, we want to serve you. We desire to live and propel ourselves, but also others through the power of the Holy Spirit to experience a life of never-ending faithfulness of God in our church, in this region, in this nation, around this world, to God be the glory. So let's stand together and worship, church.